We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship. Worship opens the gates, the doorways to our hearts to receive God's Word. You know, looking back into the Old Testament, there was the Tabernacle of Moses. The Tabernacle of Moses was a place where worship was a sacrifice. And that's how the priests worshiped God. There was sacrifice in their, in their lives and the sacrifice of animals and the blood of animals. And then you, you also find the Tabernacle of David. The Tabernacle of David was a little bit different. The Tabernacle of David, when you look and you read the Psalms, you'll find that in the Tabernacle of David, he would say, lift your hands, all you people. Clap your hands, all you people. It said with stringed instruments and with horns and with drums and all of those things, they, that's how they worshiped in the Tabernacle of David. And later on, the Apostle Paul would say in the New Testament that the coming of Jesus Christ was the, resur was the resurrection, the restoration of the Tabernacle of David. Not the tabernacle of Moses of blood sacrifice, but the tabernacle of David where we would worship him with all instruments and with, I can't play an instrument. I'm not musically inclined. My voice is not even an instrument, but I still use it. But my hands and my feet and my legs, they're all instruments that I can use to give him praise and worship. And so we're in that restoration of the tabernacle of David and we should enjoy it. What if we were not? What if we were in the restoration of the tabernacle of Moses where we had to bring blood sacrifice to God in a constant, man, would that not be hard? Can you imagine the number of doves, pigeons, goats, sheep, calves? Can you imagine the amount of blood, the volumes and gallons of blood shed in thousands of years, what that accumulated to? And yet just one simple drop of a precious blood on a cross, eliminated all of that and restored unto us worship and praise. And so that's why, you know, sometimes we get used to this. Sometimes we get used to, you know, you ought to come from where I came from. We had an organ and we had a piano. And that was it. That's all it was allowed. Once a month, my parents, my dad played a guitar and my parents were allowed to come and sing a special song and he used his guitar, but the old folks didn't like it. That's too much. But I thank God I'm in a place of restored tabernacle that I can worship God as, as He calls us. Not as I please, but as He calls us. And you look in the Scripture. If you don't understand worship, it's all laid out in the Bible. There's nothing that we need to know that we have to guess at. It's laid out in Scripture what He asks us to do and how He wants us to worship Him. And so that's, not my, that's free. So I've been given a lot of freebies lately. I need to be careful on that one. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 18, while you're turning there. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I, th th this is just a, uh, to me, it's a celebration. And so I, I mentioned it in our last service. I'm going to mention it again. I, I don't mean to embarrass her, but we baptized Joy Wednesday night. What a celebration time. What a celebration. So we're just so happy for it. So, so, I know she's kind of shy. Don't leave because I did that. <laughs> oh, to be a kid again. Have you ever been asked that question, would you like to be a kid again? I think I, w I would like to be a kid again in the day I lived. Oh, my goodness. To be a kid again. You know what? You're going to have permission today to be a kid again. To be a kid again. While you're at Matthew chapter 18, I want to read something from Mark chapter 9. It's sort of the, the same what we're going to talk about today, but has a little different twist, twist to it. Mark chapter 9, I'll read verses 33 through 37. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves, by the way? So, so they made a trip, and in the earshot of Jesus, he could hear his disciples arguing about something. But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Man, they were a little bit embarrassed. We were arguing about, but we're not going to, Jesus, we're not going to tell you. But quietly amongst themselves, we were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said unto them, 
If any man desire to be the first, the same shall be last of all and a servant of all. And he took a child. He set him in the midst of them. And, and when he had taken him in his arms, can you imagine how that child must have felt? That the Lord Jesus actually took him. You know, I thought about how he set him on his lap, but he took You know how, what it means to take a child? And, man, I love to just grab Jude and pick him up and hold him in my arms. He'll start squirming a little bit. Or to walk over to Serenity and sit down beside her as she's doing her drawing, put my arm around her, just taking your or, you know, to take Bubba and just say, "Hey, man, what are you doing?" And he look. I, the other day, I, I just talked. We were up here in front, and I said, "I'm really proud." That's Brantley. I'm sorry, I called him Bubba, but Brantley. Said, "You know what? I, I always he makes A's and B's." And I said, "Brantley," I whispered to him, "I always knew you were smart." Man, this big smile got on. We just hugged each other. There's nothing like that. Jesus took this little child and just picked him up into his arms. Whosoever shall receive one of such a children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever sh- shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Man, that, that's a powerful, powerful statement. Much of Jesus' preaching and teaching had a common phrase in it. He always talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. There are secrets about his kingdom that he wants to reveal to anybody. Anybody that'll listen, if you'll notice in a lot of his teaching and preaching, he was trying to be revelatory, trying to reveal to people around him the secrets that are in the kingdom of God. And he would use little antidotes, or he would, in this particular case, he actually used a physical person, a child, to help people to understand what the kingdom of God really was. We, when you think of kingdom, of, somebody shouted out, when you think the kingdom of God, what do you think of? Heaven. That's, a, that's kind of the norm in the Christianity. We kingdom of God is heaven. But to understand the kingdom of God is here amongst us. Jesus even looked at his disciples one day, looked them right in the eyes, and he said, the kingdom of God is amongst you. It's in front of you. And they still didn't understand. The secrets are, are for those who will hear. The secrets of the kingdom of God in Scripture are still secrets. There are still people outside of Christendom and even inside of Christendom that don't know the secrets of the kingdom. But there are secrets are just there. God doesn't have them as secrets to hide. They're secrets because you don't hear. They're secrets because you don't see. They're secrets because you don't seek. So if, if you want to be revealed the secrets of God, just hear. Listen. It, see. See what happens. Seek them out. The kingdom is found wherever God rules a heart. That's the first thing about the kingdom of God and what it is. The kingdom of God is a place, any place, any person where God rules the heart. If there's another ruler of the heart, the kingdom's not there. God has to rule that heart. The kingdom is an, it, it, it's an internal reality in the lives of believers, but it's manifested in the church of Jesus Christ. Another thing about the kingdom is that it's this internal reality. It's this thing that you know, that you know, that you know. You know, when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it's something nobody is ever going to say that was wrong, fake. It was from the devil. It was from, you, had, you were emotional. None of those things. Nobody can ever tell me this. You know why? I experienced it myself. I know what I know what I know. I was taught something totally different. I was taught that it was wrong. I was taught that it was from the devil. But when it happened to me, I know what I know what I know. And that's the thing about God. When you experience Him is when you know what you know what you know. It becomes this internal. And what happens when we gather together is that we begin to share it. And so we're going to start doing more of that. Last week, we had some beautiful sharing. Last week, Judy shared some things. And listen, we're going to go from week to week, and people are going to share what God's doing because that's the beauty of what this kingdom is about. Listen, we understand there is a kingdom coming. You understand the next kingdom to come is not heaven. It's the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Jesus on this earth. That's the next kingdom to come, but that's not the final kingdom. So there's a kingdom we live in now that we want to discuss. It exists in us today. When the first disciples of Jesus heard him speak about this kingdom, They wanted to be a big part of this kingdom. Their mindset was, finally, Messiah is here, our deliverer. He's going to take Rome down. He's going to destroy Rome. He's going to set Israel up as the great kingdom. and He's going to sit in the the chair, the seat. He's going to be the boss. 
and we're going to be the boss's kids. And this, they had this. So we want to be an important part, Jesus, of this kingdom. That was their mindset. So Jesus had to reestablish something about the kingdom to them. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read the first six verses. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What is it about men that we've got to figure out who's the greatest? If it's on a court on a field, if it's in a home, if it's on, if wherever it's at, we want to figure out who's the best, who's the top dog. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto ye, except ye be converted and be as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. I want you to notice he said you've got to be converted and become as, a, as little children. You don't become a little child to be converted. You're converted, then you become a little child. And that's a mistake in Christianity today. People don't want to, I'm going to give you permission today. God's given you permission today to be a child. Whosoever there shall humble himself as this little child, the same as greatest in the kingdom. So they wanted to know who's going to be the greatest. He didn't say who, who, who. He said what? He said, if you're like this little child, you're going to be the greatest. And whosoever shall receive one such a child in my name receives me. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. One thing that makes children so fun is the unique way in which they see things. Children have a perspective unlike ours is so damaged and so tainted. Children just see it as it is, and they'll call it like they see it. There was a Sunday school teacher that met a new child in her Sunday school class, and his name was Brian, and she wanted to get to know his parents, but she didn't know, so she didn't know their names. And so she said, Brian, what's your daddy's name? And he said, Daddy. She said, okay. Well, Brian, what's your mommy's name? Thought, you know, Mommy. She thought for a second. She said, okay, Brian, what does your daddy call your mommy? Hey, babe. There's a perspective with children that they have. It's just so different than ours. Jesus was telling his disciples there was something more to our children than just being entertaining for us and entertaining to us. He actually tells them that children are role models. We, we talk about being role models for our children, but listen, if you want to enter into the kingdom and you want to grow in the kingdom, a child has to be your role model. Children are role models for entering and growing in the kingdom of God. They teach us about the conditions, conditions of entering into the kingdom. They teach us about greatness in the kingdom. They teach us about growth in the kingdom. He made it very clear. The key to spiritual life and spiritual growth is to be childlike in humility. Now, let's stop here. There are ch- children that t- they pitch tantrums. He's not talking about that. Listen, there are children of God that have tantrums. They don't get their way and they pitch a fit. He's not saying be like a child. There are children that have, you know, children are by and large, when they're little, they are selfish and you train them not to be. But it's normal, it's natural. But, but Jesus is saying it's not that part of it. Jesus is saying the humility that's in a child. And we're going to talk about what that really means. People are just funny, aren't they? People in general are funny. I, I thought about this. People want to be in front of the bus. People want to be in back of the church. But people want to be the center of attention. So being a pastor, it's fun to deal with people. It's even greater when they become childlike. Jesus and the disciples were in Capernaum. It says the house. Most likely Peter is from there, and most likely that were in Peter's house, and you know, because Peter was the loudmouth guy. And if they were going down there and they were headed to Capernaum, you know, on the way, Peter said, All right, we're going to my house, everybody, because he wanted Jesus to be in his house. It's most likely they were at Peter's house. And they on the way they were discussing this deal about they just didn't want Jesus to hear it. Because he asked them, Well, what y'all, what were y'all arguing about? What were y'all discussing? So this tells me that like every group, the leader will always walk in the front and everybody walks in the back. And the guy that thinks he's the most, he's getting right up behind Jesus. And the other guys are pressing against him. And, you know, they're all trying to jockey for their spot. But they must have 
eased back a little bit because when they started about this, who's the greatest, Jesus didn't hear it, or so we so they thought. Jesus knew exactly, exactly what they were asking. That's why he scooped up that little child. He knew the conversation. Who is the greatest? The word greatest literally means the largest, the eldest, the strongest, the biggest. It, it was a ter- term that implied a higher position. And so the disciples were trying to figure out and jockey for their position in the kingdom. Well, I can't wait till Jesus sits on the throne in Rome. I'm going to sit beside him. I'm going to sit on this side of him. And I'm gonna, Man, they had it all planned out. The problem with having that is it actually comes from an ambition or a sheer power or desire that we have in our lives. By adding the words, who's the greatest, that ambition to the kingdom, they, they were asking, well, Jesus, <clears throat> who do you think is the most spiritual out of all of us? Who do you think is the most spiritual? And the parallel passage we just read in chapter 9 tells us about this argument. Each one of them probably had their reasons believing they were the most spiritual. You know, it's funny in church. I don't want to talk about the saints, but since it's all of y'all here, I can talk about you and not call your name, but talk about you. I talked about me already, so let's talk about you. We all feel like we're the right person for the right job, so to speak, or I'm the right, I fit in here. But, but at this point, the disciples are saying, well, you know, I think I have the credentials to be the greatest, the number one. You know, I bet Peter spoke, you know, Peter was the spokesman of the group. Everywhere you went, he was the loudmouth. Thank God, because he preached at Pentecost. But he always was blurting it out there. Uh, and, you know, Jesus renamed him. He named, you know, he named him Rocky. Well, he named him the Rock, Petra. But my guess is Rocky was his nickname because he was always throwing it out there. You know, I will bet John protests that even Peter, you know, Peter, you've got a big mouth, and you're always the one first talking. But I bet John said, but Jesus, I'm his favorite. After all, he calls me the beloved. So I'm probably number one. And so Matthew points out, listen, guys, I gave up a very lucrative job. I was a tax collector for Rome, and I was making money, but I gave it up all for Jesus. Surely Jesus sees me as the number one. And then there's Judas who carried the money. He carried their money bag. No doubt he just talked about how trustworthy he was. I would be number one. They all had their problems and their issues. So now they're ready for Jesus to settle this debate, to settle this once and for all. Who is the greatest? Boy, our human pride always takes us in the wrong direction, doesn't it? Human pride is a deceitful attitude, isn't it? It poisons the spirit. You know, it can cause a person to think their service to God earns them a special place. You understand what the disciples were saying here. Well, I'm special to Jesus. I've got a special place in the kingdom. Every one of you have a special place in the kingdom. And none of us have a special place greater or less than in the kingdom. For Jesus, it all depends on how childlike we are. Our position is our position. It's not higher. It's not lower. It's not greater. It's not smaller. But that's what happens when we get this pride thing going. We think we have this place of honor. We think because we do more than somebody else in church. Every church has that. Listen, if you think you came into a perfect place, a church, I'm sorry, I hate to tell you, but when you walked in, it became imperfect. When Pastor Don, I was the first one here this morning, when I walked in here, the church became imperfect. So hope you don't think we're in a perfect place because we're not. We're all in the same boat. But what happens is, is we feel like I, because I'm the pastor, do you know there are people that will want to ride with me somewhere rather than ride with someone else because I'm the pastor? You know why? They feel like my position with God is better than theirs and better than the person driving the other car. God will protect me first. I've been told that. Listen, i got news for y'all. Ask my wife. None of y'all want to ride with me. Yeah, because you'll, ha- you'll have to confess and repent and everything else once you get out of the car. There was a young woman who went to her pastor and said, you know, I've got this besetting sin that I've got, and I, I need help, Pastor. Would you please help me with it? Every church, I, every week, I, every Sunday I come to church, I can't help but think I'm the prettiest girl in the congregation. 
I can't help it. I just think that every time I come into this congregation, I'm the prettiest girl here. I know I shouldn't think that way, but I can't help it. Can you help me, Pastor? Pastor looked her right in the eyes and said, Mary, don't worry about it. In your case, it's not a sin. It's just a horrible mistake. You don't think because you have a position or you don't, don't think if, that, that you have a greater place. That's a horrible mistake. Maybe it's not a sin to think it, it's just a horrible mistake. Be th- beware of thinking that you're the best because of what you do. Greatness in God's kingdom is measured by humility. It's simply measured by humility. Humility is not doormat. It's not how hard you can let somebody step on you. We're going to talk about what that meant because he picked this child up for a reason. Jesus uses a child as an object lesson to men that are self-seeking. See, humility is, you know a person's humble when they're not self-seeking, when they're not trying to promote themselves, when they're not trying to get up and be the one. You know, what I learned, and, and, and God, through Scripture I've learned this, God will prepare you and God will place you in some place that you are already, he's already taken you through the gambit. I'm not learning how to be a pastor now. I learned how to be a pastor before I ever became a pastor. God never graduates you into a place in his kingdom without first getting you trained and equipped and ready to go. Now, am I learning new things as a pastor? Absolutely. But I understand what it means to be a pastor. And it's the same thing in anything in God's kingdom. God will equip you and train you and bring you to that point. Uh, so if you're in a place now, and if you're in a position, if you're not, it doesn't matter. If you're in a position, it simply means you completed your training in that position. You got to that place where God graduated you. Grace, again, it's humility. As a child stands among, you know, understand something about children of that day. Children of that day were to be seen, never heard, and to be seen only when invited. So that's why Jesus took the child and brought him into the group. He was a child invited. So as he brings that child in, I'm sure they're all like doing this and like, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, and Jesus drops a bombshell on them. You can't be in my kingdom unless you're like him. Excuse me? I can imagine that there was a little more rustle and bustle of voices. He said, uh, truly. And I'm going to summarize this. In a, he said, truly I say to you, except you shall not. He, there's some words he emphasizes. Truly I say unto you, except you, you shall not. Emphasized words. Words that he emphasized because he meant them. Jesus tells them, unless they be converted. What does the word converted mean in the Greek? It's the same word that we find for Repentance. It's the same, you know, uh, many people think that the disciples were converted. They became Christians when Jesus was here. But there was no conversions when Jesus was here. Jesus looked at his disciples one day, and he, he said, I'm about to die, I'm about to go. He said, but when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So they hadn't been converted yet. They still hadn't got on that path of being directed in the way Jesus wanted them to go. So th- there were no disciples of Jesus that were converted until after Jesus had resurrected and ascended. So he's... He, we have to be converted, Jesus said. Be converted and be, you got to change. You got, conversion, what does repentance mean? You, you turn 180 and you go the other direction. I was going this way, now I'm going this way. That's what repentance means. That's what converted means. And, and he said, you, you got to do that, and you got to be like a little child when you're converted. Otherwise, you, you can't enter the kingdom. He didn't say you could be. He said you can't even get in it, much less be a part of it. Be converted. Change the direction. Become as a child. Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you've got to be born again to enter the kingdom. He, he never, but what, did, what, what, what little inkling did he give? Oh, I can't go back into my mother's womb. and be, I can't do all that. I can't become this little child again. See, he had the inkling and understanding here, but it was physical. But Jesus said, no, you've got to be born of water and of the Spirit to enter the kingdom. So all throughout when Jesus talks about the kingdom, He's always in, invoking us to have childlike humility, childlike understanding. Jesus is telling his disciples that in order to grow up in the kingdom, you've got to be like a little one. You've got to be like a child. As he held the child there in the midst, he tells them, you know, this is what the king, 
He takes this little boy and he puts him in his arms and he says, this is what the kingdom is. So now they're still confused. Children are not supposed to be heard and seen occasionally. And now he's got this child in the middle of them. In Jesus' day, now children were very loved. You know, children were always in the Jewish community very well taken care of, very well loved. It wasn't that they were put aside. They were cherished. They, they just had their place. They had to come of a certain age before they would be seen. They had to become of a certain age before they were heard. It was for, for 12 years old. It was the, 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 what you hear now is bar mitzvah. Uh, children had no rights. Children had no power. <coughs> Children have rights and power in our society today, whether we want to admit it or not. They have rights and power, exactly, and that's the problem. The reason they needed the rights and power is because of the problem of adults. The problem is not with the child, it's with the adult. Much as we want to point it, you know, I'm sorry that my child pulled up all your flowers in your garden. It was my child that did it. You know what? Why did your child do it? Well, that's Don Vidic. He goes around creating all kinds of havoc. Because I did that one time. Pull up the neighbor's flowers in their flower. You know what? The bottom line was, and my mom told me this. My dad, my dad just whipped me. My, my mom said, listen, we, we just didn't teach you that that's wrong. So we're telling you now it's wrong. So she understood. That was a good, and you know, for a child, what that did for me, you know, for my parent, first to say that they were wrong, but then to correct it, and so you get the understanding about the lifestyle of the Jew here and about the child. No, they, had, they had no voice in their home. They didn't get to say, we're doing, can we, uh, we're doing this today, Daddy. Now, I, don't get mad at me, but some of your children are that way. They tell you what to do, and you jump as high as you can. Sorry, that's today's society in America. Kids are ruling the roost. And, and, and you know what? Listen, that's the worst thing you can ever do to your child, not to yourself, but to your child. So understand the principle that the children didn't have, they didn't have that voice in the home or the city or the nation. They didn't do any of that. They simply were there to obey their parents and the elders, not just their parents, but the elders as well. And that's not something you see in church. Don't you tell my child not to be running in church. All right, let me move on. Some of (laughs) y'all. To simply... They simply had to obey their parents. That was called humility. That's what Jesus was. The ch- you have to be like a child. You have to be simply willing to obey your father. That's how you, get, that's how you grow in the kingdom. As well, they had to believe that most adults, until they learned that adults lie, they had to believe that most adults uh, told the truth. As children get older, they figure out adults lie. But as a child, up until the time when they grew of age, they had to simply believe what their parents told them. And in that society, yeah, there were lying adults, but in that society, their word was very important. Unlike our society, which our word is meaningless, in their society, it was important. And so they made sure they tell their sons and daughters had to grow up and implicitly believe their parents. That's called trust. So to get into the kingdom, to, 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 to enter into the kingdom, you've got to have this humility of a child, and you've got to have this trust of a child. Children were totally dependent on their parents. They couldn't go, they couldn't do anything. They were totally, every bit of their clothing, their food, their care was, they were dependent. And that's what, for everything. And the third thing you have to do to get in this kingdom is to be dependent, totally dependent. Not, not partially dependent on God. And that's another problem in America. We're partially dependent upon God until we run into a place where we can't manage it. Then we want God to help us. Right, oh, I can't manage this, God, so help me right here. And so God helps us. And so then we come to another place. So, okay, but, I, but God, this part of my life, you, know, you stay out of that. I, I can do that. I can handle this. Then this blows up in our face. Oh, God, I need, we need just to, to get in the kingdom. You have to be totally dependent, totally dependent on Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling his disciples and us that this journey uh, that we have in order to be his disciples is all a child journey. Giving you permission to be childlike today. If you and I are going to come to know God, we first got to turn around and go the other way 
And when we do that, we have to then understand when we do that, we're no longer walking alone. God doesn't expect you to trust Him, to depend upon Him, to be humble in, 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 sight, in, in, in His presence, that He's not going to be right there holding your hand. He will hold your hand every step of the way. Every step of the way. We become humble, trusting, and dependent. That's when spiritual maturity take, begins to take shape. You cannot become spiritually mature until you trust, humble, and depend upon Him. Some of us think we're pretty mature Christian-wise, but we've never learned to trust Him. We've never humbled ourselves like we should humble ourselves. We've never depended on Him totally. So your maturity is at a very low level because that's the beginning. That's the beginning. Well, sometimes we get the cart before the horse, don't we? One of the most dangerous things is to have knowledge of the Scripture but have no wisdom to use it. Know all about the Bible, but not have the wisdom to know when and where to use what Scripture and how to say it and when to say it and what it implies and, and, the, and the love that's behind it. How many people have you crossed in your life that used it like a... It is a sword, but it's a sword that rightly divides the bone from the marrow. That's your bone and your marrow. Not, you don't go take the sword of God and divide somebody else's bone and marrow. That's for you to divide your bone and your marrow. But how many times have we ran into people that use the Word of God as a sword against us? Bless God, you're busting hell wide open. I saw you drinking that beer. Boy, that got quiet. I got a, I got a bunch of beer drinkers. We have to understand, we have to trust somebody that's higher than us, wiser than us, stronger than us, even to a place of a love that we cannot fathom. I was talking to a guy one time, and I was showing some things in the Bible that, you know, not everything is, is, is understandable in Scripture for us. It's, the Bible says it's beyond our ways and beyond our thoughts. It's God's ways and thoughts. And so there's some things that you're going to have to take by faith until you get there. There are some things that are very open that God gives us, very understandable. There are some things you've got to, by faith, believe it, whether you can put it down on paper and make it, and understand it. And, and, and this person likes to logically try to understand God. You can't logic God. You can't logic God. So there, there are things by faith. And you know what? Faith has to do with a child. Think about how much faith a child. Faith, children lose their faith as they get around adults. I won't stop there. Your journey becomes an adventure of trusting and depending on Him to guide you and provide for you. That's how it begins. That's how it starts. You, you know, thinking I know all this Bible, but not being able to appropriately use it is the most dangerous thing, the most dangerous Christian that walks the earth. They wreak havoc, they create disaster, and they usually bring somebody away, which I'm going to talk about that here in a second. They usually take somebody away from God, not to them, not to God, because of the misuse, because they're not child thinking. Your child, your spiritual growth, so listen, your spiritual growth and the growth in the kingdom, it all has to do with just your willingness. Just be willing. God's not asking you for anything else than to just turn your will, willingness, you're turning your will to Him and let His will be done in your life rather than in your own. There's still things in my life that I, like, I want to will for my life. But I'll be, I'll be talking to God about them, and God will say, well, that, that's not my will. If you want to do that, I'll allow you to do your will. But can I give you a little secret? That's not going to turn out good for you. Thank you, Lord. I trust you. You tell me that's not going to turn out good. I'm done with that. Move on. That's all God wants us to do. Be willing to listen and follow his will, not our own. What most of us really need to know about and how to live and what to do and how to be, we actually learned at a kindergarten age. What you know in life today on what to do, how to do it, how to say it, all those things, you learned at the age of a kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduating school. The wisdom that you received was in the sandbox. In the sandbox, when you were little as a child, you learned to share. That's where you learn to share. If you wait till you're 18 years old and learn to share, you're in trouble. 
Have you met that person? Yeah, I have. They're not willing to share. 18 is too late. They're set. They're done. By the time a child's two years old, most of what I'm going to tell you now is already learned by the time they're two. You learned in the kindergarten age how to play fair. You learned at the kindergarten age not to hit people. You learned to put things back where you found them. If you find a person that's very cluttered and doesn't, and you know, my dad, if, if we picked up a tool and used my, my dad's tool and didn't put it back in the same exact spot in the barn and hang it on the same hanger, we got a whipping. Now, boy, your dad was cruel. No, he taught us something very, very important. If you take it, that's fine. Put it back where you got it. The worst thing I hate is trying to find something that somebody used to mine that I can't find. The other day, I called Jana and I said, where is the lighter that I used to light the grill? Well, look here. You look there. You know, basically what Pastor Don's doing here is he's accusing her of putting it somewhere because she cleaned off the spot. And she put it somewhere, and I just accused her of hiding it from me. I, sometimes I think she does that for fun. But I, I was basically, I didn't say you did it, but, I, you know, I'll be honest. I was accusing her of hiding it from me. Well, did you look under the... And lo and behold, where I always put it, where this little thing is, it, it had just been moved underneath. It wasn't hidden. I wasn't seeking. All I had to do was look under this little deal. It's right there where it's always been. We learn to put things back. You learn to clean. Well, here's another one. By kindergarten age, you should have learned how to clean up your own mess. That's, that varies some of us still haven't learned how to clean up our own mess. That's somebody else's job. But most people, they learn how to not take things that aren't theirs. You know what that word is, right? Yeah, you can say it out loud. It's okay. We're not saying because you said it, that's what you're doing. Most people, when they blurt something out, then they're like, oh, I should have said that because people think that's me. Yeah, when you take something that's not yours, it's thank you. We learn young not to do that. To say sorry when you hurt somebody. There are a lot of things that you learn that you use in your adult age today that started when you were a child. And your spirituality is just or even more built that way. There are things that you learn as a, you learn as a babe in Christ that stay with you. And they gauge your wisdom as you grow. If you don't learn how to speak to people correctly, the wisdom that God wanted to give you, He's not going to give you until you get the wisdom on learning how to speak to people like you should. Otherwise, you're going to be a sword waiting to cut somebody's head off. And so what we have to understand is Jesus said, unless you become like one of these little ones, he's, he's connecting himself to the little ones. Listen, when you look up the Greek word for little ones, you find out he wasn't just talking about children. In that society, little ones also referred to the people that were downcast that were weak or neglected. They were also called little ones in the society. So Jesus is not only telling them, listen, you got to come in, but you also got to come in like the people that are downcast, that are weak, that are neglected. And Jesus took great responsibility for those people. Look at the people that Jesus went to in his ministry, the downcast, the weak, the neglected. He knew they would come into the kingdom. He knew it was hard for a rich man. Now, it's not wrong to be rich at all. But he knew it was hard for the rich because they have things they're holding on to that keeps them from giving full trust. You remember the rich young ruler? Lord, I have kept every commandment. And Jesus said, you the man. Jesus congratulated him. What is the first commandment, by the way? Okay. So God has to be first. Love, you with all your, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So Jesus said, okay, you only lack one thing. Man, I, you know, that, yes, yes, I'm in it. I'm in. Go sell everything you have and give it all to the poor. Give it away and come follow me. And he went away sorrowful. You know why he went away sorrowful? He broke the first commandment. He loved his money more than he loved his God. If he loved his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, he would have said, Jesus, 
if you'll get, it was probably a little hourglass thing, but he said, if you'll give me about 15 minutes, I'll have it all sold. I'll be here in a minute. And I'm quite sure Jesus would have said, stop, perfect, come with me. He'd probably never had to do it because it was all about the willingness. That's what Jesus is looking for, his will, not ours. He said for someone to offend the little ones, that word offend means to to cause someone to stumble or to lead somebody into sin or entice them into doing wrong or hinder them from doing the right thing. That's the definition of offend. Let me say it again. To cause someone to stumble, to lead them into sin by enticing them to do wrong or hinder them from doing the right. That's what it, he said. If you do to, this to one of the little ones, that being a child, that being somebody that was weak, that seemed to be somebody that was neglected, he said, Here's the deal. It's better. Understand this about the Jews. The Jews at that time, other than fishermen, were deathly afraid of the open sea, drowning. They, 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 they were deathly afraid of drowning. That was, their culture was built around staying out. Only fishermen. They didn't, you know, they, they didn't have sailing. They didn't kayak across. Those waters were too rough. You, know, you, you didn't see them. There wasn't Peter out there going with his kayak. And he, hey, God, over here, the fish is over here. You know, they stayed in their big boats and the safety of their boats. And remember what happened when the boats, the safety began to get away from them. They start crying, you're going to let us die. They were scared of the water. And so Jesus is very wise. He uses the thing they're so scared of. And he said, you know what would be better off for you if you offend one of these little ones? If you just take a grill stone. Now, a grill stone ranged in sizes. The smallest grill stone that I can find is about 350 pounds. And it's this round rock with a hole in it. And, it's, and there's a, 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 a deal that slides in the hole like this. And it's attached on a pendant. And it goes around like this. And th- there's a, a, usually a mule that pulls it. And it pulls this thing around on this big grind mill, and they put their corn or wheat or whatever, and that stone on stone grinds it down. He said, it'd be better for you just to take that, grind, that stone off that thing, put a rope around your neck, tie it around that grindstone, go out to the sea, and throw the grind mill off into the, throw that stone off of there. What happens? Well, if your neck's not broke, you're going to drown. Jesus was pretty adamant about what it meant to offend someone that's childlike that has the faith of a child. We welcome the weak and the downcast and neglected here at Tabernacle of Praise. We as Christians welcome them. They're the people that Jesus sought after. And it wasn't, again, that he didn't seek after those that had money, that that had prestige, that had power. Look, Matthew was in a place of prestige, money, power, everything. What was the difference between Matthew and the rich young ruler? One difference. He walked away, but Matthew was willing. You see here, the simple, that's what humility is. You're willing. The word willing, willingness, comes from the understanding that your will is put to the side and his will is put in your place. If, if I wanted to go to Papado's and Jana wanted to go to Papacito's, and I, I, so if I'm willing, I will put aside Papado's and go I'm willing to go to Papacitos with her. That's putting aside my, that's what we do with God. We're willing to put what we want aside, and I'm a seafood lover. But put aside that I, what I really like and be willing because it's the right thing. I'm doing the right thing here. And that's what being willing is all about. Uh, just, just let me remind you today that if you're not childlike in God, you're, you're never going to grow. No matter how much scripture, no matter how much praying, no matter how many days you fasted, if, if you're not childlike, what does that mean? The humility, the trust, the dependence, that you're never, you may have gotten into the kingdom, but Paul in, in Hebrews came back to the Hebrews and he said, uh, I've come back, if you read the letter of Hebrews, it's Paul's letter to the Hebrews, he said, and I've noticed something, you were delivered out of the old law and the old precepts of the law, and the old rules of the law, and you were delivered by Jesus Christ, and you came in, and I've come back, and some of you have fallen back into that old law. And he said, now, so I've got to go back to the milk, the baby stuff. Your, your babes in Christ once again. 
And that's what we have to be. We have to understand that we have to be like children. We have to grow in the knowledge of His grace, in the power of His Spirit, in the understanding of His Word. But we have to do it with the humility of a child. Any other way, and what will help wind up happening is we will go back to the milk. We will come back. I know people that are in the church right now over 40 years that are hardly sucking the bottle. They're barely able to take the milk. The milk's too hard for them. They've heard the meat, and they've taken the meat. But what happened is they went back to the old. They lost their humility, and therefore they're back to the milk. Let's start over. You may mature in him and in his words and in his ways, but you never outgrow the need to be childlike. You'll never outgrow the need to be childlike. Not, not again, not like throwing a tantrum, not, not quitting because I didn't get my way, but humility. When was the last time you came to an altar and actually humbled yourself before God in a childlike manner? In a childlike manner. See, children are so easily, you know why children are so easily deceived? Because they're so trusting. They, they say trust, so they're easily deceived. Only as we get older do we learn the power of deception. When was the last time we actually came to an altar and we said, you know what, God? There's some deception that's happened in my life. I've tried to handle this, or I've, I've, I thought I should have been doing this or saying this, or I should have handled this situation this way, but you know what? I just There was a deception there, and I didn't, because I, I, I didn't approach this with childlike faith. I approached it with my own pride. When was the last time I came to an altar and I just said, you know what, God, I just believe you. I don't, I don't understand how God could speak something out of nothing. You know, to me, it takes more faith to be an atheist or somebody that believes in the Big Bang. That takes more faith than believing that God did it. That in the trillions and trillions and trillions of massive amounts of space, this one thing blew up and and this one thing blew up, and not only did it blow up, it created all these stars. And not only that, there were planets and other things and moons around it. And not only that, on some of these planets, the, the, the people came along. And after millions of years, they came from this single-cell amoeba. Out of the single-cell amoeba that had no way to procreate, it procreated. Well, okay, whatever. So we know there's frogs that do that. So, okay, I got you on that one. So, okay, so they procreated. So then after hundreds of thousands and millions of years, they became tadpoles. And then after a million more years, they, you know, they became these Cro-Magnon guys that walk around ugh, ugh, and pull their wife around by their hair and after me you know come on man what man, what world are you living in you believe that scientists will say that and turn right around and tell you that's astronomically impossible it's not even probable there's no number given and the astronomy of numbers that can take you to the place where this could actually literally happen, a big bang where this happened. But then they'll turn right around and say, well, that's our theory, though. So in other words, you believe in something that can't happen. You know what? I believe in something that did happen, and I believe in something that can't happen, and I believe in something that's still happening. Here recently, the web, have you all heard of the web scope? Man, I've been watching that thing like a hawk. It's put the other telescope out of sight. It's out in the space, and it's taking pictures and things of things that we've never seen, nebulas and all this kind of stuff, and I love that stuff. And what scientists have said again is that the further out we go, the more we see that it keeps expanding. When he said, let there be the stars, God never said stop. It, from day one, they've just kept on being created and kept on being stars today. Right now are being created because God never said stop. There's going to come a time when God says stop, though. He's going to say, it's done. Time's over. It's done. No more. Man, do we get to ride on some kind of incredible Jesus spaceship and go to the other side of where all that stuff is? I hope so, because the Lord knows my heart, and he knows how curious I am about that stuff. But, but just to understand, we serve a God today. Have I looked for things in Scripture that weren't true? Yeah. Can't find any. Thought I found some that contradicted themselves till I just looked a little more. I became like a child. I said, all right, God, uh, if your word's real, and sure enough, there it is. It all makes sense. 
what I've discovered about this word, it's so true. It's so real. If it says that he spoke and it happened, if it says that he took the dust and created a man, it happened. Just being like a child. Stand with me if you would. One thing we understand about children is their dependence. Their dependence. Starting as a little baby, they depend on everything. I mean, listen, I'm not saying this should be changed, but I'm wondering if Jesus wasn't meant meaning a baby because a baby depends solely, solely, food, clothing, shelter, life, solely on their parents, solely. What if we really live for God that way? Solely dependent on Him. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to lose my job. Well, you lost your job because He has a better one for you. Oh, that's kind of out there, Pastor. That's the problem. I went from being childlike. Well, you're getting out there. Absolutely. When we go from being childlike to trying to fit God into a box and to logically understand God with His mind, you're never going to logic God. He's given us some logical things in Scripture that make sense. But you're never going to logic God. God is the God of logic. Logic is not God. God is the God of logic. Here's the problem. His ways, His ways, logic, His thinking, logic, is above our logic. We can't logic God because we can't even think it. And that's, what, that's why faith comes in. That's why we have to believe God, even though... I'll ask a question, then we're going to just pray. Do you believe in blind faith? Blind faith. That is a troublesome statement for a lot of people. Blind faith. What does it mean to be blind? Simple. Can't see. So do you believe in, in something you can't see? What might that be? Faith to believe in something you can't see. Well, that's blind faith. Blind faith is not such a problem. Why can't we live for God in blind faith that He doesn't have to explain everything to us? Why can't we live that way? That He doesn't have to explain Himself to us. Why can't we live for God to believe that if He said, I am your Jehovah Jireh, He is our Jehovah Jireh? If He said He's our healer, our provider, if He said He's our Savior and our Redeemer, I can't remember, as little kids, Audrey or Megan ever coming up to me and saying, do we have the money to have dinner tonight? Are we going to have breakfast in the morning? You know what? Their whole thing was they, they left with mom and daddy. We, we just have that. Why is that? Because they provide. What if we live for God that way? We just have it because he provides it. The only thing I heard them would hear them say is if they got up before us, are you going to fix breakfast? And sometimes we ask God that. You going to fix breakfast? We know he's going to. We just want to know when. Oh, to be a child again. Just to come to God and say, you know what? Matter of fact, I, I just was looking and it just really kind of dawned on me, which y'all, I'm sure it's already dawned on you. We are called the children of God. We're called sons and daughters, but we're called the children. He called his people in the Old Testament the children of Israel. There's a reason he uses that term. These are the people that believe in me. Israel had some problems. Israel, they, they worshiped some golden calves. They went to other gods, but God still called them his children because even though they had problems, they were still his. Listen. Even though we have problems in our life, we're still His. And He still wants us to be His children, to have the faith and the trust and the dependence on Him that He will make it right. So I'm not going to open the altar this morning. I ask you, when's the last time you ever came to an altar and just really as a child 
this is going to be a home opportunity for you. To somewhere in your home, maybe you're walking around out in the yard or down the street, or maybe it's a room or a place in your, that you like by yourself, or maybe you want to be sitting in the middle of everybody while they're watching a football game. It doesn't matter. It's your opportunity just to say, you know what, Lord? I'm coming to you. I'm your child. I'm, go- I'm going to humble myself to you. You're God. My goodness, a God that created that expansion that's still going on. Man, I can't fathom going to the moon. We've done it. Much less go. And those are things he spoke. He created us with his hand. Do you know how intimate that was? Because we're his children. The first thing he did was hold his children in his hands with Adam first thing he did. He's doing that today. Lord Jesus, we are your children. Sometimes, God, I get to thinking I'm smarter, stronger, greater than I ought to be thinking. I let me get in my way. And so today, God, I just want to come and tell you, first of all, that I'm sorry. I know you've never asked for an apology. You've just asked us to turn and go back the other way. And so that's what I want to do here today. And as we go to our separate homes and do our things today, Lord, each one of us want to do is go back to the childlike. So I want to turn from my prideful ways, and I want to turn from my self-centered ways. And God, I want to turn back toward the humility that as you held that little boy up in your arms, as surprised as those disciples were, how much of an impact that must have been for them to see you hold that little boy and tell them how much they needed to become like him to be a part of your kingdom. So God, hold us today like you held that little boy that we might become what we need to be to be a part of your kingdom, to become so childlike, to humble ourselves to trust you and totally depend upon you. There is no God like the God we serve. There are so many gods in this world, Lord. There are so many gods in people's lives, whatever it might be. But they dissipate, they fail, they do harm, they're destructive. They have no eternal value. But Jesus, you are the eternal If I had hope in this world alone, I would be of all men most miserable. I understand what Paul means. My trust is in you today, Jesus. I humble myself before you today just to believe your word, to trust in it, to depend upon it. Because after all, your word is you in our lives. So help us as the church of the living God just to be kids again today. Oh, what we wouldn't give to be a kid one more day knowing what we know. Could we say that spiritually, Lord, to be a kid again knowing what we know? Oh, to be a kid again, to be a child, to be a little one, to realize today, God, I need you. So many people in our society today don't understand how much they really need you. But God, I I realize today how dependent I am upon you. I need you in my life. We all need you here. Thank you, Lord, for loving children. It gives us hope. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I know it's odd not having a, because we're notorious about having altar time. What I'm asking you today is take this altar with you and carry it with you every day. This altar that we have here, and it's not this thing. It's this place we're in this morning. 
I hope you're in a place where you really have searched out your heart and you've really looked at your life and you just said, listen, God, listen, God, I, I want to be a child. It puts us back on the path. God bless you this morning. Thank you for being so attentive. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.